0: Visit the Bedfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD85 in Frederick, right next to Longshots Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BedfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: What's up, everybody? It's Soren Baker here on Unique Access Entertainment with Soren Baker. Thank you for checking us out, for tuning in, for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to like, to download the stream, and rate us as high as possible, if you don't mind, wherever you happen to be listening to Unique Access Entertainment with Soren Baker. Now, today, we have the honor and privilege of checking out my interview with Tom McDonald. Now, Tom is an artist I find very interesting on a number of ways. He's very controversial. He likes to push buttons, but I think the guy is extremely talented, regardless of your opinions on some of his political matters and something that really interested me was his purchase of Eminem's NFT and how he flipped that and made that something to where Tom McDonald increased his visibility, put out a, a song about Slim Shady, Stan, and this whole thing and how that kind of fits into his MO as an artist. So that's what I'm talking about with Tom McDonald. So, Without further ado, here's a Tom McDonald interview with Unique Access Entertainment with Soren Baker. Now today, we have the honor and privilege of being joined by a man who's putting out a lot of very interesting, and in my opinion, very entertaining and great music that has some very, very thoughtful stuff. So I'm very excited to talk to him. Mr. Tom McDonald, thank you for coming through, sir.
2: What's up, brother? Thanks for having me, man.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. And you just put out the new song, Dear Slim. So we're gonna uh talk a lot about that here at the top before we get to some of your other material. Cool. So so with Dear Slim, uh, you know, you bought the NFT from Eminem. How did that idea come to you to be like, hey, I'm gonna buy this NFT and then make a
2: song out of it? Honestly, bro, like it was just one of those weird things, like where everything kind of comes together in a moment and the light bulb goes off like we've been really getting into NFTs over the last couple months and just playing around with crypto and getting wallets and exploring the space and um, entertaining the idea of maybe doing some NFTs of our own. And then um, my girlfriend Nova, she's like really big into the crypto space. And she was like, yo, did you know that Eminem is dropping NFTs? And I was like, no, I, I did not know that. And, She's like, yeah, I'm going to cop them tomorrow. And I was like, cool. So next day she, she bought the three little NFTs that came out, which were like, a, they look like action figures, like in a trading card format or something. And I was like, wow, that's like really dope. And then I'd read an article about it that said that he was selling a one of one that a beat was attached to it. And honestly, it was just a fleeting thought. It went away. And then I went to go work out the other morning and it hit me like a truck, bro. I just grabbed my weights on the rack and I yanked them off the rack. And then all of a sudden, it was just like a message from the universe. It just like went into my brain and it was like, yo, if you get that one of one NFT, not only do you have like the dopest collectible ever, but you'll be in possession of an Eminem beat. And I just threw my weights down and ran inside and I was like, open up your computer. I got an idea. And then I saw that it was at 45 racks or something. I put 46 down, got outbid immediately. Um, I had to call the bank and get my daily spending limit bumped up to like hundred K. And then they said, you only have 15 transactions for the day. So I knew I couldn't sit on there and bid back and forth with people all day because my 15 transactions are going to burn up in, in five minutes. So I waited and waited and waited till there was 15 seconds left on the clock. And I threw 100 racks at it, which went to a good cause. And I got something really cool out of it. And that's how it happened, bro. That's that's
1: incredible and very ingenious, which I want to get to in a second. But in addition to that, did you have the Deer Slim song concept like right away? Or did that come a little bit? How did that come to you? Dude,
2: like. I've first of all, like. Eminem's the reason I started rapping as a kid. So all of a sudden, when you're in possession of a beat made by the man himself, A, it costs $100,000. You can't screw that up. And B, that beat was made by, you know, a guy who you looked up to and idolized as a child. So those two things combined, like that, that's a, that was a lot of pressure for me. Um, and usually if, if, if I make a beat, um, and I'm inspired by it, I write to it uh, immediately. That beat sat in my hands for a week and a half before I decided, okay, today's the day I'm going to try and write that. Just because it was so much, so much pressure that I put on myself and I was terrified of disappointing me. I was terrified of disappointing my fans, M's fans, M, like whatever. Like I just wanted to make sure it was done as best as I could do it properly respectfully etc cetera, etc cetera. so um i never been so scared to write a song in my life bro and uh, and it was about two and a half weeks ago that that i wrote it and recorded it and got the video done and now we're here that's incredible
1: now with the because your videos are very striking typically uh as a big fan of stan and the marshall mathers lp myself I was very intrigued when I started watching Dear Slim that you're playing off the stand video, which uh, is, you know, an iconic video in in so many levels. So what, in addition to all the Eminem and that pressure, what made you want to add that pressure to kind of play off
2: the stand video? Um, I mean, A, like that's one of the most iconic videos probably of all time across all genres it just is um and you know arguably like one of the uh, the greatest pieces of art that that em ever created and i mean just the whole concept of stan and like what is that like it's obsessed fans super fans kids that dyed their hair to look like them kids that wanted to be them whatever whatever like i was that when i was 13 years old you know when i was 13 14 like that was me, bro. That was, that was a lot of kids in the '90s. So, to me, it was just like the beat, the NFT beat was called Stan's Revenge. So it just seemed like a volley from from M. It felt like he just like set it up for somebody to do something like that. So I went out and bought the same Monte Carlo that Stan had. I it, it was black. I sanded the whole thing down, painted it that powder blue like it was in the Stan video. Um, If you notice when I'm sitting on the hood of that car in the warehouse, it's pouring water out the doors and down the window and I'm soaking wet because to me it was sort of like the continuation of Stan. And if Stan didn't, if Stan didn't drive off that bridge or if Stan survived, who would that super fan have turned into? Right. And that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's
1: the... uh... Amazing thing about it, you know, with Kim, with Stan, with Bonnie and Clyde 97, that he had in different ways connected these dots both musically, but then in his personal life that we saw going on in the chaos. And I actually wrote and produced the Marshall Mathers LP Best Albums for VH1, and I interviewed him for it.
2: No kidding.
1: if people saw that, you might have seen it back in the day, it was on VH1, but it was like a behind the music on the album. So I know so much about this album and I interviewed him about it and talked to him about it at length. Uh, Eminem, that is, of course. But I wanted to get from you the. Uh, as a fan of his and as somebody that followed him and was a stand, a did that give you any uh, kind of throwbacks or did it make you think back to your childhood or younger before you even started
2: professionally rapping
1: when you were writing it did you have any oh man bro!
2: like it's i mean this is the first time in 20 years my hair's been this color bro like i felt like a kid again like buying that box of bleach and bleaching my hair in the bathroom and stuff it was super nostalgic feeling and like just like it was kind of surreal bro like sitting inside like Stan's room and like sitting on top of that car and like just having the beat, like the whole thing, like conjured up like so many memories of me being a kid. Like that's where like a lot of that song came from when I was talking about being bullied and what, what I was like in school. And like, yeah, it brought me back, bro. Like it was a, it was a really crazy experience. Well, I also
1: liked uh, like a lot of, your material that you put a lot of personal stuff and you talked about how both you and M battled addiction. So kind of like how M wrote the Stan character trying to say how he was like it, you were writing it like Stan too, but making it personal for yourself, not a fictitious thing. So exactly. as an artist, when you add those type of wrinkles to it, what effect does that have on you artists artistically? And then the, your fans, which obviously are, a sizable fan base, what do you notice that they say
2: when you add those personal wrinkles? Um, I think it just like, I think it just sort of highlights the parallels of maybe pieces of our personal lives and pieces of our professional careers. Whereas a lot of people prior to this video and prior to me making comparisons and stuff like that. I've had people coming to me for, you know, the better part of the last couple of years saying that, like, man, like, you remind me so much of young Eminem, and like, man, I, I wish M was doing now what you're doing now. Like, this is where I felt he should have went. And whether they're right or wrong, like, these are comparisons that people have been making and things that people have been saying to me. So I think by like adding those wrinkles into the song and the video, I think it just highlights some of those aspects that um, people have been talking about for a couple of years. And I, I think it just allowed me to add a little bit of a you know, exclamation point and punctuate that a little bit. And you also talked too
1: about how, if it wasn't for him, how you would have committed suicide and all these different things. So what, and how he made you believe things. So clearly you love rap, clearly you study rap and pay attention. What made Eminem different to you than
2: either other white rappers or just rappers in period? Well, I mean, at that point in time, like, there was no other white rappers. I mean, I'm, there was like Beastie Boys and stuff like that, but I didn't get into hip hop until probably like mid to late nineties. So like essentially what happened was like, I was in a pawn shop with my dad and he gave me five bucks. And he said, you can buy anything in this pawn shop that you want with this five bucks. And I was like, all right, bet. So I'm digging through, I found find this milk crate of CDs I'm digging through it and I find Tupac, All Eyes On Me. And I didn't know who Tupac was, was not familiar with hip hop at the time. But my whole thing was All Eyes On Me was a two CD set and every other CD in the box was one CD for five bucks. So I was like, man, just as a young business person, I guess I was like, I'm gonna get this double CD set for five bucks. So that's what I did. And I listened to that Tupac album For probably the next two years straight learned every word fell in love with hip-hop because of that album period like that was the catalyst that's what broke me into it and 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 made me fall in love but that being said as prolific as Tupac was as amazing as that album was there's a young little white boy from the suburbs listening to Tupac a black gangster rapper And as much as I loved him and loved his music and fell in love with the genre, there's a disconnect there. I can't fully relate to a lot of the things that he's saying and understand the way that he's describing his life and and life out there in the world. So when M came along, I was sitting on the back of a yellow school bus. This kid came up to me. He's like, yo, I stole this CD from my older brother. This is crazy. You need to hear this. And I was like, who is it? And he's like, it's Eminem. And I was like, man, what kind of a name is Eminem? Who's that? And he's like, he's a white rapper. And I put on the headphones on my way home from school and listened to it. And it was like, at that moment, that disconnect that existed between me and Pac, and bridged that gap. So like, that's, I know I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, but that's why, um, this, this is all so important to me. Right, well, it makes sense, it makes sense. And
1: tied into that, the uh, back to the video part of Dear Slim, uh, working with Nova, your girlfriend on it, you guys on your videos do I think incredible work and have it so is. much going on, oh, you're welcome, but you have so much going on with all the edits and the cuts and the costumes and these different things. So from a filming standpoint with Deer Slim, but then also like Bad News, Clown World, a lot of your other, especially more recent songs that are so visually arresting. How do you, where do all those come in? Like what is Noah's role versus your role? How do you guys divvy up like the conceptual development
2: of a Deer Slim, of a No Lives Matter, of a Bad News? Right, um, well, obviously, Nova shoots everything um and she edits everything I'm there for the editing process and saying like oh yeah I like this shot don't really not crazy about that shot replace that one maybe this should go here like I'm giving input but Nova is the genius behind the actual flow of the music video and uh, when things get fast and then when things breathe like that's all that's all Nova's um uh that's what she does like that that's her whole thing i gotta give her full credit for that as per the development of the actual music videos like man a lot of times like let's go sit in the backyard put the song on have a smoke or whatever chill out listen to the song and scribble ideas in our phones And then I bring my ideas. Nova brings her ideas. I say, well, what about this, this and this? She's like, that's cool, but I feel like this part won't work. So what if we did it this way? And then she'll come and say, oh, I want to do this. And I'm like, that's cool, but I want it to be more impactful. So what if we add this to what you're talking about? And it's a really collaborative, creative process. And like we sit down and we make color palettes like. And we're like, okay, cool. Like these are all the colors we wanna work with. So the environment's gotta be like this and the fit's gotta be like this and, and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's, it's a really um, collaborative, fun process for us to, 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 to do together. Like, you know, writing music used to be like my biggest outlet and my only outlet. And these last few years since I've been producing all my own stuff I'm getting just as much enjoyment and fulfillment out of making the beats as I am writing the songs as I am conceptualizing and executing these videos like they're all just different um canvases to to paint on and it's it's been a really fulfilling um gratifying thing and 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 on top of that to be able to do all that really cool stuff with you know the most important person in the world to me my girlfriend it's like I couldn't ask for any more than this, man. I'm I'm so so thrilled about it. Oh, that's that's amazing. Congratulations, and uh, I think the videos
1: since you're doing them all on your own also blows me away because of uh, how you guys have what appears to be all these different sets and the costumes and how you like paint your face. Sometimes you got these outfits. You got so much going on. What when you first started doing that? What gave you the creativeness, the confidence, the, hey, let's just do this. Like how
2: how did you guys come up with that? Honestly, man, like I've been like that since I was a kid. I've always had like a crazy imagination. I've always been super confident in myself for i'm not exactly sure why if that's something that my folks instilled in me or um or if it's just in my dna or i'm I'm not i'm not exactly sure but you know i was 10 years old the first time i went to my dad and i said i want to dye my hair and he's like what color do you want to dye your hair and i was like red and he's like well red like bozo the clown red or red like this this lady's hair red and i was like red like fire truck red and he was like okay cool and he like took me out and got me the hair dye, dyed my hair for me. Like, like I always just been crazy like that, bro. Like there, there, there was like an urban hip hop store, like in Canada where I used to live. Like when I was 13, 14 years old, I was getting like triple XL yellow sweatpants and like orange FUBU visors upside down. Like I looked like homeboy out of Malibu's most wanted. Like I always just been like, doing crazy stuff because I enjoy doing it. I was a pro, pro wrestler for like a long time. Like that the whole pro wrestling business is about telling stories and taking people on an emotional ride and, and having an impact and affecting people. And like, that's what I want to do with my music, whether it's the way I dress or the way the videos look or the things I'm saying in my songs, I want to leave you with something that when you're done watching my stuff, you're still thinking about it. For the next hour, and you're like, "Yo, I gotta show my homie this. This is too crazy. Whether they like me or don't like me, that's fine. Hate me, love me, both of those are a win for me. If you're feeling indifferent, I can take them or leave them. I don't really care about it. I failed. I, I want to have a real impact. So that's my whole thing. Well, well, that brings me to a lot of questions, um,
1: <laughs> because. Why do you think as a society, and are you full-time in the U.S. now or are you back and forth between Canada or what? I'm, I'm full-time. Okay. So in the United States in particular, I don't know how it is in Canada. I've been there several times and spent a lot of time in Canada, but never lived there. But my okay. question is, why do you think in the United States and to whatever degree it applies in Canada, we've evolved to where we're not open to having to be able to disagree and agree to disagree. Why is everything, everybody has to agree with us or they're stupid or we hate them. And you address this in a lot of your songs. Uh, Why has that
2: happened? That is a massive question. Why has that happened? Um, I mean, yeah, you could go into a billion different little minutiae of why this has happened over the years and it has everything to do with politics and social certain social issues and just it's a conglomerate of a lot of things but i think why it's so accentuated right now is that people have been conditioned now to pick teams it's it's all about going to the extreme like and that pendulum swings back and forth and it goes all the way both times and it's either you're left you're right, you're red, you're blue, you're black, you're white, you're this, you're that, like, and it's just, and it's perpetuated by the media and perpetuated by um, social media and perpetuated by pop culture, pick a team, rep your team, ride or die, like, and, and there's a serious lack of moderate voices in America these days, where people can just be like, look, man, like, you like these ideas on, 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 on the quote-unquote left, that's cool. Like you like these ideas on the on the right side of the spectrum, cool. You're allowed to take and pick and choose what applies to you and what you believe in, and develop your own sort of stance in this whole thing. You don't have to pick a team and be against anybody. Um, but like, not to get you know too tinfoil hatty on anybody over here. But like, at the end of the day, if I was running this place. I'd want everybody picking teams and looking at each other too, because that prevents everybody out there from looking at me. So I think that's the way the system set it up. And I think that people that aren't willing to think for themselves perpetuate that narrative. And now we're here.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, one thing on a related note, but has a different effect is on clown world, how you were talking about leaving better kids for the planet instead of leaving the planet better for our kids. So what, Max. so what made you, that was one of my favorite lines in the song, but what made you look at that and kind of reverse
2: that? Um, honestly, like I, I, it wasn't that deep, man. It was just like a clever thing. And like, it's, it, I think that a lot of this, you know, like, if there's bad people being born into the world, like what, and they can be bad for a number a number of reasons, like maybe they're they they're thieves or killers or racists or sexists or whatever. These people get born into the world, and you don't get born a piece of garbage. Like these things are inherited traits. You learn this stuff over time. So all I was trying to say with that bar is like, yo it's your responsibility as parents to recognize your own faults and your own shortcomings and not instill that in your children and the next generation that are going to inherit this place. So that that's really all I was trying to say with that. Like, I, I've talked a lot about um, the sort of damaging things that are being said in in, in 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 modern hip-hop as far as you know like this the Xanax stuff and the lean stuff clothes cars money girls blah 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 same stuff like and that's all cool cool and I think it's fine to listen to that but I think it's important to understand what you're listening to and understand why these guys are saying that like when I was a kid and I was listening to Marilyn Manson and I was listening to M and I was listening to stuff like that my dad would pull me aside to be like hey I know that the people that you're listening to are extremely talented and they're making some really amazing music, but you need to understand that not everything that they're saying is cool. Like it's not actually cool to, you know, take these drugs or drink and drive or treat a woman this way or act that way or do this. Like, and he always pulled me aside and gave me context on what I was listening to because that's his job as a man, as a father, as a parent. So that's what that bar is about. It's like, yo, like, it's cool to leave a better planet for our kids, but how about the kids that are gonna, that we're leaving the better planet for, let's make sure that they're prepared to do their, to be their their best selves while they're here, you know? Yeah, cause I think
1: the, as the the common phrase goes, the children are the future and we need to get them to be, they are the stewards of our future of, the, of humanity. And if we don't take care of them and we, you know, lead them astray, then they're going to be astray. That's basically something that I don't understand why that's so hard for people to grasp.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: So also, um, I did, I'd seen too, your uh, Fox News interview, which I thought was interesting on many levels, but one one of the things you said on there that I thought was so interesting was how people are allergic to opinions. And that, resonated with me too because i think that it's so unusual Groupthink, i think has become so dominant and anytime you like well what do you think about this and you're not saying they're wrong or they're stupid or whatever it's just like oh well i thought about this instead like (laughs) for you why what's going on with that why is that so like
2: shocking to people dude like I think a lot of people like to, like the word that's thrown around most about me and my music is like, quote unquote, controversial. And like, I don't really think that there's much controversial about what I'm saying. I think that it's just uncommon that somebody would decide to say those things because, um, Unpopular opinions rarely get heard these days. It's just about what's popular, what's safe, what's what's acceptable, what's whatever, what goes along with 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 what the the masses are thinking and saying, and what's on the news, and blah 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 blah. So, a lot of these unpopular opinions, a lot of people have them, That is just keep them buried deep down inside themselves because they don't want to get crucified on the internet. They don't want people pointing at them and saying. This guy's this, this guy's that, calling him names, whatever, whatever. So um, we just reached this weird place where it's like, on the surface level, everybody's like acceptance, 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 equality, equality, equality. Uh, everybody be yourselves and love yourselves and love other people for being themselves. But what's really happening is we'll accept you and we'll respect you and will love you for who you are only if you agree with what's popular and what what aligns with their own ideologies and stuff. So, I mean, that's what I meant by, you know, people are allergic to opinions. They're just, the internet is so volatile now and and, and so uh, knee-jerk reactions. When somebody has an unpopular opinion or an uncommon opinion or something that challenges the status quo, instead of listening to that person, trying to understand for two seconds, okay, where is that coming from? And what is that person trying to say to me? Instead of, instead of trying to digest this stuff or decode it and, and have a real discussion or a conversation about it, it's just immediately like, fuck you, shut up. We don't agree with that you're a piece of shit, blah, 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 excuse my language, but that's just the nature of the internet these days. So, so that being said, your dad
1: played a very different role for you as a conscious per se, or at least a point of view, um, as somebody. So when, when you think back on that, what impact has that had on your life? Not only with how you make your music, but just as a person, how you think and how you approach things? Um,
2: I mean, I guess most obviously, like, just go take a look at any of the numbers anywhere on any of my stuff. Like, it's, I think that, I think it's cool to play it safe. And I think it's cool to do all that if that's what you want to do. You're free to do it. But um, I've chose to, you know, put my hand up and be like, hey, not me. We're doing something different over here. And uh, I mean, it's proven to I think people are ready for that. I think there's a lot of people that obviously don't like it, which is totally cool. You're free to not. But there's a lot of people who embrace it. And um, it's just, you know, not everything that I say is right. Like, it's just surface level feelings that I think everybody have had that maybe they've buried away or or explained away to themselves and never said anything about it publicly. But but it's important to get that stuff out into the world and, and cause those discussions and have people to think about stuff. So, um, I mean, sure, like it's. It, there's not many people that are going to holler at me and be like, let's do an interview. Like, I want to hear what you have to think. Like, or only certain people will do that. Um, So I'm sure it's closed a lot of doors for me, Um, but it's also served me really well. I've been, I've been this way since I was a kid. I'm going to be this way till I'm an old fucking man. Like, I'm not changing. Like I'm not, I'm not going to water myself down to make strangers on the internet feel more comfortable. I'm not going to do it. Right. So, I
1: think, too, that goes in in line with uh, your No Lives Matter song, because on one of the lines that I also really liked is how you were like talking about you need a fast car and you need these things, because now that um, America has evolved into such a consumer based society, Mm -hmm. I think that really does matter to people that oh I need this it's that keeping up with the Joneses the competition um so for you since you clearly are aware that that is happening what is what do you want people when they hear you say stuff like that to think what do you what's your goal with kind of exposing that
2: or acknowledging it at the least um I mean like this is a this is a three dollar t-shirt bro Like I, I, it's got holes all over it. I got it from a, from a goodwill. Um, and I think that this like sort of social conditioning that happens is like, they prey on people's insecurities. That's really what it's about. Right. Own this, own this car, own this house, own these clothes, own these shoes. That'll make you cool. Look, look, two chains wearing it. He's cool. If you get those shoes, you'll probably be cool too. And like the whole thing is like, you know who the coolest motherfuckers on the planet are the people who are comfortable being themselves that don't need all that other external bullshit to, to, to pretend to be anybody, to try and live up to anybody's expectations or standards. The coolest people on the planet are literally like what popular culture thinks is the least cool. If, if, if you can like, it's easy to own a room walking into a room in a $20,000 jacket, bro that's not hard. Like if you can go into a room and light it up with your smile and your personality, like that's cool. You work at Walmart and, and that's, and those are the shoes you can afford your Skechers and your white tees or whatever that you get a discount buying at the place you work at. Do that, bro. Like it, it like just, that's the thing is just be who you are. You don't have to submit to this, 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 infinite consumer based it's a it's a trick bro like they're making you feel bad about yourself so you'll buy stuff it's ridiculous feel good about yourself you are you embrace that people gravitate towards what's real so be that and you'll be fine those are the coolest people on the planet right so well on a a different emotional
1: wrestling the church song i thought was interesting about wrestling with addiction uh and how it's not fun being sober and and these different things so since you do have a lot of heavy subject matter with that one in particular was that uh mainly cathartic or was it more i want to help out people a little bit was it some of everything like what made you comfortable
2: with that well sobriety is a fucking bummer first of all um but it's a, it's a really important thing. Like for somebody that almost drank themselves to death, you know, it's, it's, it's an important thing. So um, a lot of people, I wasn't being too literal about the church thing and the praying thing and the God thing and blah, 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 blah. Like I believe in something. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if it's, you know, a guy in the sky or a dude that was nailed to a cross or big fat dude named Buddha, six armed elephant. Like, I don't know, I believe in something, but for me, like the most accurate representation that, that I can bring to the table is things that are related to um, Christianity and stuff. So, um, you know, I pray, I don't know where those prayers are going, but I ask for strength all the time. And I asked for strength, especially when I was going through, um, my addictions and the mental breakdown that followed and, and, and blah, blah, blah. So, um, and you know, there's still things that I I fight with, like sometimes, bro, you just want to go out and get plastered. Like you just do like, and and it's not always because you're feeling bad. Sometimes it's because you're feeling really good and you want to go celebrate something. So, you know, that's a lifelong, that's a lifelong war that I'm going to be involved in. So, um, so yeah, it was just imp- it's it was important for me to talk about those things. I think that there's not a lot en- enough um, big musicians, big athletes, big actors um, that that let the world know. Like, there's so many people out there, bro, that are dealing with mental illness and addictions, and people don't feel good. And there's two things that people who don't feel good want: they want help and they want to be understood. And I think it's important for people like me or anybody in a position like mine to stand up and be like, Hey, you don't feel good. I don't feel good either. And that's okay. You don't have to feel good all the time. Um, so, you know, that's where songs like church come from. Okay. Um, yes. And,
1: uh, the, uh, another thing about it that I think is so interesting that you mentioned was your, uh, background as a professional wrestler. Cause I, right. I grew up, Back when it was the WWF. So I'm a few years older than you, I believe. But the thing is, I grew up watching it um, and appreciating the humor in it and the storylines and the comedy. Of course, it's uh, people can say what they want to say about it, but a lot of violence also. So, how, what did you learn, if anything, from professional wrestling that you've applied to promoting and marketing
2: yourself? as an artist oh man everything everything as a, as an as an independent artist without you know a marketing team like w- without a manager without a label without any of the resources that are available to people who are in the industry like i gotta find my my own way here and you know a lot of people will say negative things about my marketing tactics. Oh my God, he's such a tryhard. He's such a clout chaser. He's such blah, 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 blah. But like, they don't understand. Like, bro, I had my first professional wrestling match when I was 14 years old. Like, I, I, I've I been marketing myself for a long time. Like, I learned how to tell a story. Like, when you go out to have a wrestling match, it's not just like, oh, it's... uh it's, you know, Hulk Hogan versus Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. Like, and and that's not, like, that match, Stone Cold versus Undertaker, that ain't going to sell tickets, bro. There, there needs to be context given to that match. What's the story behind that match? Why do these two guys not like each other? What's happened for the last three weeks that now it's like they, they're going to get their hands on each other for the first time and I have to buy a ticket. I have to get that pay-per-view. I have to see what happens when these guys finally go at it. Like it's about telling a story. So, you know, in wrestling, the stories are made up. Um, I don't make up my stories. I got a, I got a beat from Eminem, from the NFT thing. And I told that story and maybe a, a colorful amplified way for, for a week, but that's a real story. And in the past when I've had distribution say we're we're not distributing that song it's too much we can't stand behind that whatever okay cool that's real life I'm gonna take that now and that's that's my lead into this single so I just take whatever's happening real shit that's happening in my life and and that's to me like that's what makes bro like we used to watch sitcoms on tv and, and and fictional shows and that was cool and we loved that what's what's 90% of TV now is reality TV what's more interesting than real life so I just take what's going on in my personal life and, and present it to the world like as a, a as a pro wrestler would and and make it interesting and explain it to people and tell the story and that's that's my marketing in a nutshell you know and I think you've done an excellent job with that and
1: sprinkling in the Real world stuff like on fake woke, I really appreciated the line where you said it's harder to get a job than it is to get a gun, and that one uh, resonates because of all the school shootings, all the mass shootings, and the shutdowns that we've had with COVID, and even before that, of course, just in general, it's not always easy to get a job whether you have a PhD or you've dropped out of school. You know, either way, sometimes absolutely. It's cool. So what? do you remember what made you in particular think about that line and that reality in American life?
2: Um, Just like, honestly, like it's both of those things, both of those, both sides of that line um, came from the, 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 the sort of the same group of people. Like there's a lot of, blue-collar, hard-working American people in this country. And they're all about First and Second Amendment. So I see these people posting all the time like, oh, I got this new strap or like I'm out at the shooting range or I went hunting last weekend, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's those same blue-collar Americans that are being hit so hard by COVID and a lot of other political and economic and social factors in America today. It's those same people that are getting really nailed right now and losing their jobs and losing work and blah, blah, blah. So I'm seeing those same people that are like on some raw, raw America shit are also like, yo, I can't get a job right now. Times are tough. Like I can't pay my rent, blah, 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 blah. And you know, that's really where that came from. It's easier to get a jump gun than get a job. Like, just a, it was just a quick observation, you know? Understood, understood.
1: Um, Also with the no good bastards, which ties into Dear Slim, one of the lines I thought was interesting was that haters are obsessed fans. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) (laughs) that that line is so funny to me on so many levels because I've seen it myself, uh, both directly and indirectly. So when did that realization hit you?
2: Oh, bro. Uh, I guess it was about like two and a half years now. Um, like I, I had my first joint kind of blow up, Deer Rappers, and then after that was hell of it, and then, um, and then it was White Boy after that, and uh, <laughs> that got so much negative attention and i was like oh my god like the world hates me my career's over like um like i'm screwed like like it's so it's so negative and then you know i gave myself a few days and i stood back and looked at it and i was like holy fuck i'm famous now I, I'm i'm famous for people hating me so then the next joint i did was everybody hates me And it was like the whole song was all about like they've been hating. I think it's stupid funny. Haters making making me stupid money. Like, and I just realized I was like, holy shit, like this is just like pro wrestling. Once again, if the if the good guy, Steve Austin is the good guy, he can't be the good guy unless there is a equally badass bad guy insert triple h insert undertaker insert whoever the fuck and i was like oh my god like i have accidentally just by being myself sort of become this super villainous (laughs) character and uh all these people that are hating me like this is the weirdest thing bro this is such, this is a fucking anomaly. And I don't know why, if it just exists in, a, in, in America or if this is a worldwide thing, if it's human nature, I'm not sure. People are fucking obsessed with what they don't like. Like if the dopest thing ever drops, J. Cole just dropped his shit today, right? It's probably so fucking dope. Or like, or Kendrick or somebody like, that's just mind blowing dope, drop some stuff. People will look at it, consume it and be like, That's dope. And they keep it to themselves. And they keep it in their headphones. If somebody sees something that they fucking hate. Oh, my God, this piece of shit. I can't believe he said that. I got to show 30 of my friends this right now. Like, like, it's just weird thing that's happening right now where it's like people are so obsessed with things that they don't like. That's what they want to spread around. So I'm just like, okay, cool. Like, you don't like me. I got a lot of me in the tank. Like, Run along, haters. Sprinkle those seeds far and wide.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny because I remember early on in my writing career, there was a prominent album that I didn't like that a lot of people liked. And I uh, wrote about it and people didn't like the fact that I criticized it because they loved it or whatever. And I'll never forget. It was a publicist called me who wasn't even that artist publicist. They didn't even work with them. And they were like I can't believe you didn't like the album this this and this and they wanted to have this argument with me and I was like nine out of ten times we like the same things I said to her I was like why do you care like it's my opinion I don't like it so what you like it have fun with it enjoy it why are you thinking of me not liking it when you think of this album <laughs> it's so crazy <laughs> like of like we've talked more about this than those nine albums that we love, both love, we've talked more about the one that I
2: don't like. Like yeah, it's like when we agree on something, we talk about it for five minutes. The second that like I have an opinion that differs from yours, we've been on the phone for two hours. Like why why is that?
1: Yeah, it's very so, very strange. Very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that ties into a lot of other stuff with fake woke that I thought was interesting. That like cardi b being a role model or hate speech and speech you hate are not the same thing um so uh more so on the flipping the phrase thing uh because that's obviously done a lot in rap but for you do you remember how and why you started being able to flip those things uh how words are used in your way
2: um not really, man. I don't think that there was ever like a aha moment or anything like that. I think that, I mean, I've been writing, you know, I was writing poetry and stuff when I was a kid and I've been writing raps now for fuck, I don't know, 12, 13 years or something. So, you know, I'm always like, I'm a student of the game. Like I'm always trying to learn and improve and figure out new flows and figure out new ways to get my point across and, and figure out, you know, how to better, better my ability and hone my skills and, and, and master my craft and stuff. So um, I think it's just like a natural, um, natural evolution of things. I'm just slowly um, getting better and learning more. And, um, and I want it to be that way forever. Like, I think that the day that, whether you're a carpenter, a plumber, a rapper, pro wrestler, doctor, um, editor, like it, is, like journalist, it it, it doesn't. The day that you stop learning and improving, hang it up and fuck off and go do something else. You know? Yeah, that's that's very true. So that that
1: being said, bringing a full circle to dear Slim, what have you reached out to Eminem? Have you heard anything from him or his camp, or what's, or if you do, what do you expect? is going to happen? What are you going to say? What do you, if anything, do you have a plan?
2: Like what's going on? No, not really, man. I don't really have any plan, but I, and I haven't reached out to M. Like, um, I've talked to a couple guys. I'm like not really into saying who I've been talking to or anything like that because just the nature of what I do, um, it's just going to open up narratives in their lives that they don't need to have opened up. Um, so, but you know, I talked to a few people around him and stuff and I don't know what he thinks about it. I don't know how he feels about it. Um, I hope, I hope, I hope he likes it. Um, You know, that, that wasn't really the, you know, I'm I'm sure that's what a lot of people are going to say. Oh, he's just trying to get Eminem's attention or, or whatever. But, and they're, they're going to think, Oh, Tom's just trying to get some sort of acknowledgement from Eminem or something. But, At the end of the day, it's like, man, like spend a hundred grand to get an Eminem beat. Um, What would you do with that? Are you just going to you're just going to like make some random song on it? Like, no, like this is a special thing. Like you got to do something special with it. I thought that it was set up for me to do what I I did. Um, I thought it was important for me to do what I did. I think that there's this weird stigma in hip hop where it's like, once you're famous quote unquote, or well-known, it's like, you're not allowed to be a fan of rap anymore. And like, you're not allowed to be a, a stan or a mark. It's like, oh, that shit ain't cool. Like now, now you're a famous rapper, like, just be a famous rapper. And to me, it's like, yo, like we, we are all rappers because we were such fucking big fans of rappers that we had to do it ourselves. So, like, I'm I i I'm not too cool to be, like, yo, this is the guy that, like, literally inspired me to be a rapper. And, I, and, I, and, like, Eminem is probably the only artist in history who can be in the twilight of his career. Just speaking of the man's 50 years old and, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he decided to move on to other things. He's probably the only artist ever to be in that stage of his career and still be at the peak of his game. Like, that's unheard of and because we're talking so late in his career I think it's important at this point in time like give the man his fucking flowers like there's this weird stigma like that's happened in the last you know five six seven years rap's got so much cooler lately and Eminem's corny and Eminem's fans are corny and it's like man fucking stop it with that shit and 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 I'm not and I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not too cool to acknowledge that. And, and, and everybody thought I was going to diss him. Little did they know I had a big-ass bouquet on deck. And, you know, that was important for me as an artist um, to make that record, so. Yeah. So other than Eminem and
1: Tupac, was there anybody you'd want to discuss that you said that, that really inspired
2: you or that you think deserves more recognition? Um, man, coming up, like, I had such a weird musical background because, like, my first physical music purchase, I think, ever was, I had a tape cassette of The Offspring, I had a tape cassette of No Doubt, I had a Marilyn Manson album, then I had the Tupac record, then I had M, and my dad was big into classic rock. So he's introducing me to the Led Zeppelins, Pink Floyd, Steppenwolfs, Joe Cocker, Cyndi Loppers of the world, the Beatles, blah, 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 blah. So I was always like growing up, I wasn't just like a hip hop head. I wasn't just, just, you know, straight rap all day. Like I had uh, so many different things like Floating around so many different genres and types of music, classic rock, rap, pop music, a um, little bit of RB, like had all this this different stuff. So. Um, and, and the other kind of like weird thing about me is like and I've always been this way is like even when I was really into pro wrestling, the reason why I referenced Steve Austin 10 times in this interview is because that was my guy. Like I chose him. That's who represents me most accurately. That's who I'm emotionally invested in. That's my guy. And I almost felt like I was betraying him if I had another favorite wrestler or something, you know? So like I picked Tupac and then I picked M, And then eventually I evolved into being a massive Lil Wayne and Drake fan. And it's always been kind of those three guys for me um i've been listening to the baby a lot lately i think he's crushing it mad talented like super dope the way that they've done his whole rollout like i i'm i'm sold on it i love it so but uh but yeah as a kid like those were my guys i always picked one guy and then rode hard with that guy for for pause But uh, but but put on for them really hard, like, you know, while I was a fan or whatever. So I didn't deviate too much into um, into a a lot of other rappers and stuff. So those were those my guys. That's what I rolled with. And now that I'm uh, an adult, I don't sit around and listen to uh, a lot of music, period. I listen to a little bit when I'm exercising, but I'm working 20 hour days on making my own beats writing my own songs shooting my own videos blah, blah 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 when I'm done with all that the last fucking thing I want to do is sit down and listen to somebody else rap that is just you know I want to put on a, a video game and spend 30 minutes gaming out and I want to go to bed that's it gotcha
1: okay well with wrestling what made you leave
2: why did you stop pursuing that It was a combination of things, man. Like I was a young kid when I started wrestling. Like I was 13 years old when I went to training Um, my first day, like they were teaching us how to take bumps, which is essentially like jumping up and landing flat on your back on the mat. And you know, it's left, right, kick out, boom, hit the mat. And I did that for my first time when I was 13 and the trainer was standing there with his arms crossed. And he was just like, Holy shit, you're a natural. Like that was perfect. Because I wasn't just watching wrestling. I was studying this shit. Every single time I watched a match, I'm paying attention. How are these guys getting up? How are they falling down? How are they doing this move? Like, uh, how are they working the crowd? Like, what's the whole, what's the science behind this whole thing? So by the time I got into a ring at 13, I pretty much already figured that shit out. Because of that, and being very confident in my abilities after one month of training, I had my first match along with two other guys who had been training for two years, which is fucking unheard of. And, you know, they weren't happy about it. And, you know, a lot of guys didn't like me. And, you know, by the time I'm 16, 17 years old, I'm wrestling on a bi-weekly TV show. I'm wrestling on pay-per-view. I'm wrestling on shows with, with, with Billy Kidman, Scott Steiner, Rikishi, Scotty Tuhadi, like, I'm riding roller coasters and getting shit faced with buff Bagwell. Like I'm doing the whole thing and I'm 17 years old and I'm in, in matches with guys that are 30, 35. And they're like, Oh, Hey, like I was thinking about doing this tonight, or maybe we could do that tonight or blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, nah, we're not, we're not doing any of that. Like, this is the way it's going to go. We're going to do this, this, this Boom, 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 pinfall go home. It's over. Because I was so confident and so good at it that, I was telling these people twice my age, what to do, not realizing because I'm a kid that there's a serious politics involved in a wrestling locker room. And there's a tactful way to go about getting your point across and collaborating with somebody else on a match. So I got a reputation as a child, as a 16, 17 year old kid for having a real bad attitude, being difficult to work with, um, guys were trying to hurt me and, And it's just, you know, it's a tough guy sport, man. So, like, a lot of those guys, 35 years old, they ain't no 16-year-old on the planet that's going to tell them what the fuck to do. So, we're getting in the ring, and guys are trying to beat me up and trying to hurt me and stuff, which didn't work, I might add. But I got into a fight with a guy one day in front of a bunch of people, and I pulled down my knee pads because I was going to knee him in the head. And I forgot that my knee pads were down and I jumped off the top rope to do a frog splash. I landed in the middle of the ring with my knee pads and my ankles. I blew blew out both my knees, crushed all the cartilage in both my knees and uh, accumulated injuries and shitty decisions, uh, which led to overwhelming politics. It was those two things that kind of forced me out.
1: Well, that 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 uh, that'll do
2: it. <laughs> that'll fucking do
1: it. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to Unique Access with Soren Baker. I appreciate your guys' support. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and however you guys checked out this episode of Unique Access with Soren Baker. Also, if you haven't already, please pick up the copies of my two most recent books, The History of Gangster Rap and The Gucci Man Guide to Greatness with Gucci Man. You can find both of those books on Amazon at Barnes & Noble at the independent bookstore near you. And of course, you could also check them out at your library. And if any of those places don't have them, please request them. And most importantly, thank you so much for listening to Unique Access with Soren Baker, however you listen to us. And please subscribe so we get into your feed. Hit us with that like and hit us with the five stars, 10 stars, 100 stars, whatever's the highest they got on this platform. But we appreciate your guys' support and look forward to you checking us out on the next episode.